crisp. Salted peanut butter with chocolate flecks. Salty caramel. Gooey butter cake. Coffee with cream and sugar. Skillet cinnamon roll. Lemon and blueberry parfait. These are all nicknames that Tara has for me. <laughs> I hit record without you knowing. Yeah. <laughs> Brandy banana brulee. Sweet cream biscuit and peach jam. That one. I like that one. Sweet cream biscuit. <laughs> yeah, that's your favorite nickname for me. No, these are nicknames for oh, me. Uh, that's what I mean. Yeah. Your nickname is Potato Bitch. <laughs> is there an ice cream? Boston ice- cream pie. Is there an ice cream called Potato Bitch? Oh, there should be. Savannah Barment. <laughs> that, that's another good one. Texas feet cake. <laughs> there we go. That's a sexy one. This is basic snitches. <laughs> Hi, friends. <laughs> we have already drank a full bottle of wine. <coughs> Tara is having a death. I'm just dying. Good times. These are going to be good episodes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let me just tell you that much. Uh, oh, I'm Adam. I'm Tara. I'm Savannah Buttermint. <laughs> and I'm Potato Bitch. <laughs> and today we're discussing chapter, which chapter is this? 13? Chapter 13. Chapter 13 of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. The, the Sacred Riddle. Secret, not sacred. <laughs> yeah, it did kind of sound like you sacred. You sounded like you said sacred. The sacred riddle. <laughs> what if we did the entire episode like this? That would be hard. Look at it. It's all already audacity is like the audacity <laughs> you guys have. The audacity of you fucking drunk bitches. Please let us know at basicsnitches at gmail.com. Which of those ice cream flavors do you want us to go by forever? In the meantime, you can also go to patreon.com slash basic snitches and sign up for as low as $3 a month for great exclusive content. These Patreon exclusives are some of the best ones I think we've ever done for this episode and next week's episode. This week, it is a screen rant, but it's a really fucking good one, guys. So please come and join us there, and you'll be acknowledged in every single one of our episodes, just like all of our existing patrons, which include Ashley, Ryan, Brittany, Jen, Layla, Mary Beth, Megan, Nisi, Olivia, Nicole, and Raph. Hope to see you there. Okay, what happened in the last chapter so I can uh, So the last chapter was Silver and Opals. Oh, yes. Yeah, there was a purse necklace and shit. Yeah. Can I guess? Yeah, go for it. I mean, everyone lost this chapter. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say Mundungus because he was the, like, the biggest asshole. Okay. Other than the person who planted the necklace, but we don't know who that is yet. Wink. Wink, wink. <clears throat> Malfoy. Is he the loser? No. I'm going to say it's Mundungus and I have no idea who wins. So Mundungus is the loser. Okay. The winner is like a default, and it's Hagrid. Oh, that there, makes sense. Right there at the right time. That being said, Harry is like right behind him because the movie got this so wrong when I was so annoyed by it. He is the one that says, don't touch the fucking necklace, you assholes. Yeah. You're going to get cursed. That's, those are exact words from the book. Harry knows his shit. He's yeah. the real data professor. <laughs> he really is. But no, just like Hagrid just being there. We're like, well, he's the adult handling the situation. So someone has to win, and it's Hagrid. Oh, wait, I have to re-download Google Docs. <laughs> you don't have Google Docs on your phone? No. I could have opened it in Google Drive, I guess, but... I'm just over here with my Google phone being like, you don't have Google Docs on your phone? No, I'm an Apple fucker. <laughs> oh, I learned a new thing about you. Apple fucker. I love it. I love to turn an apple into a bong and smoke out of a bucket. <laughs> just kidding. Your document is in dark mode. Thanks, asshole. <laughs> Chapter 13, The Secret Riddle. <laughs> 
Katie Bell is sent to St. Mungo's, and Harry continues to speculate about how Draco could possibly be guilty of passing her the cursed necklace. Harry goes to Dumbledore's office for their next lesson and repeats his suspicions about Malfoy and gets some sass from our favorite former Slytherin headmaster, Phineas Nagellus. They also discuss the piece of garbage known as Mundungus Fletcher and how he stole from the Order headquarters, and Phineas leaves to go see what all the fucker has stolen. Dumble takes Harry into the Pensieve into his own memory. Together with a Dumbledore from the past, they visit the orphanage where Tom Riddle lived prior to coming to Hogwarts. After serving the matron of the orphanage some magical gin. Oh my god, that's my nickname. Fuck all those Magical gin? Magical gin. Past Dumble and therefore current day Dumble and Harry learns that Tom Riddle is a weird ass kid and also likely a bully and that the orphanage would not be sad to see him go. Undeterred by this information, Dumble continues to meet with 11-year-old future Voldy. Past Dumble tells the creepy orphan that he's a wizard, and it is clear immediately that this kid is a fucking psychopath. After that disturbing memory, current Dumble and Harry debrief on everything they've just seen. As Dumble sends Harry to bed, he drops some horcrux hints. He do. Ooh, the mouth sucks. organ was only up for a mouth organ. Yeah, mouth organ. <clears throat> That's what I call my dick. Can we just call it a fucking harmonica? Is this oh, what British people I thought you, you want to call my dick a harmonica? <laughs> Would you like to call it a mouth organ? We can. Is that like a British thing? What? Calling a dick a harmonica? Yes. A mouth organ. See, I thought it was the, that thing that goes meow, 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 do you know what I'm talking about? No. It's the mouth harp. Maybe oh, that's what it's called. a mouth harp. It, it makes that sound. Yeah, mouth, yeah mouth, okay. Mouth, no, no. I actually know what you're saying. That could be two things. A mouth harp or a didgeridoo. <laughs> Nowhere in between. We're not here to talk about instruments. The first thing I wrote is Katie Lucky. That she didn't die? Yeah. Dumble was even like, there was a hole in her mitten. And that's, um... I'm um, period. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad. We like Katie. Yeah. If she put that necklace on. <clears throat> she'd be. She'd be dead, but she would be looking beautiful. Harry goes on his like, yeah, Malfoy knows about this. Malfoy, Malfoy, Malfoy. He's oh, yes. very obsessed with Malfoy. And at this point in the book, I'm still team Harry as far as no one is giving him any sort of like, maybe you're right. Like Brian and Hermione are like, it's annoying. And then like he goes into Dumbledore's office and he's like, this is my suspicion. And Dumbledore is just like, I'm going to fucking ignore you. Instead of saying, Harry, I appreciate you saying this. I'm going to fucking figure it out on my own. This is why Harry is so pissed the whole book. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? And even though Dumble obviously knows what the hell's going on, you could have approached differently because Harry, the way he fucking meddles into everything, that fucks things up too. Yeah. And I'm sorry, some of that's on Dumble. The other thing about that in particular, what I wrote is why does he heed the warning? Is it because he already knows about this because Snape is a double agent? Yeah, I think so. Because otherwise, I can totally see Dumble saying maybe not as, you know, conscious as you said it. At least recognizing, oh yeah, Draco is a potential here. I really think that that's like a place where Dumbledore fails there is that Harry is always harping about Snape and Dumble finally at one point in this book I think it is says I fucking expect you to believe me when I say Snape is a good guy basically but he doesn't do that with Malfoy where he doesn't like just go I need you to fucking stop dropping that you want me to investigate Malfoy. I'm handling more than you think I'm handling. He never puts Harry in his place on that. And so when Harry is pissed off, I'm like, yeah, I see why. No one is acknowledging what he's saying. And he's right. If you had just acknowledged it and Harry had been right, it would be different. 
this is still the same Dumbledore that we see in book one. And at this point, we even, I think, maybe talked about it back then. Through the series, we kind of forget that he's like the pottering old fool. Like, right. the silly man that he is portrayed as in the first book. Right. I almost feel like it's not a Dumbledore thing to be like, hey, fucking cool it. Like, that feels more like McGonagall behavior. Yeah. But at the same time, like, you're completely right, too. Like, it's not fair for people to not acknowledge what he's saying. It, Especially, it's the serious thing for me, is that in every chapter, I'm noticing more about Harry being like, I will not be ignored, and people kind of brushing off what he has to say. Yeah. Six years in a row now, things have been major. Why won't people fucking listen to right. me? Even in contrast to the fifth book in which he was wrong, how dire those circumstances turned out to be, he's not going to suddenly no longer have instincts he still needs to learn to trust himself. The fact that Dumbledore won't acknowledge him is really not helpful to building up Harry as the leader he's going to need to become. Okay. It's not helpful in building up Harry and the confidence he's going to need because guess what, bitch? In how many fucking pages? Like a couple hundred pages, you're dead. And it is a child and his friends who are a great team and everything. That's who you're leaving this behind to. And you know it here. So at least give him the fucking courtesy to be like, I hear you. I'm not ignoring you. This is our focus. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't do that. He just goes, this is our focus. Stop worrying about it. It's been very clear that there's no regard for mental health at all. Right. And like, I think maybe it's one of those things where they say to check up on the people that you think don't need to be checked up on in assuming, oh, Harry's got this. He's been successful all these years too in defeating the bad guy. He's fine. Come on. We see all the nuances. Right. Was this the first time that we see Dumble and the Dursleys together? Isn't this? Yeah. Right there. I mean, yes, Dumble is, you know, completely oblivious. I mean, come on now. Like, there's a lot of other context here through what he has had to endure that you can't just expect this kid to, like, gain confidence out of it. You know, that's, like, the easy way out to assume things when, of course, it's not at all realistic, so... But, you know, you made a really interesting point there because that is who Dumbledore has been this whole time. Because you just brought up him with the Dursleys. And it's like the, the tottering old man. fucking first chapter of the fucking book in which he is met with resistance from McGonagall, who says these people are terrible. He's like, not this way it is. His inability to see outside of what he thinks is the most important part of it he's not good with people, has literally been hurting Harry all this time. Mm. And here's more of it. That is true. Even though we see more of the, like, leader, in quotes, of Dumble, by this point, we've seen, you know, more of an arc with him. He is still kind of that silly man that we see in the first book in some of those instances, but the silliness is not, like, charming anymore when things are so dire. The other thing that I said before we get too far into this, when I opened up the book to start this reading, did you also get kind of this tinge of excitement of like, ah, it's another Dumbledore lesson? Yes, because I love having these History moments lessons. where we're getting, yeah. I definitely did. Here I go shooting on the last book, but whatever. The last book, it's like, one step forward, two steps back, because there's a pink menace on the loose. <laughs> the next book, I always think of it as like, oh, they camp and camp and camp and camp and then they kill Voldemort at the end. Spoiler alert! I there's, know there's, so much there's so much more book. than that, of course. <clears throat> but this one is... It's I'm, chunked up in a nice way with these lessons. I still feel like this is maybe arguably the best written book in the series. I think that Deathly Hollows is even better mm. because it also has to wrap everything up. But like as far as something unexpected, this does not feel like if you were reading the end of the fifth book and you're like, I'm going to 
try to predict the next things happening. And obviously, Horcruxes come out of fucking nowhere, but just like this book isn't just about that. I feel like this is unexpected, not in like a surprise kind of way, just like a nice, refreshing, unexpected way. And the writing is so good, and we don't have pink fucker. Yeah, this book definitely feels like a break in the same way that book three does, because book three was definitely my favorite prior to this reading. It feels like book three and book six do kind of take a step back. From everything that's going on in the forefront. Well, you know, those are the only two books that Voldemort is not actively in. Yeah, except for in moments like this. Right, which where is you... the past. Right. Very interesting. And I think it's probably necessary after the last book, which is so frustrating and so long, to do something that is a little bit more easy to finally get the context at. Um, well, and that's, you need so much of the context that's in this book to mm. prepare yourself for the last book. That we don't have time to also be like, and Voldy is here to stack in school or something. That and we're in the same position that Harry is in, because Harry has been like hungry for answers, hungry for backstory. And I think that we are kind of following this journey along with him a little yeah. bit more. Yeah. In many ways, like this book has been a lot easier to read and a lot more refreshing. And it's a big turnaround from the last book for sure. So this lesson for sure, I was like, ah, here we go. More backstory that we definitely need to see. As you said, Phineas Nagellus is sassy. And also if he's ever right to be pissed at fucking Mundungus bullshit. Absolutely. Because at first I was like, cool it, Mundungus. Like, call me OS, you dead person. You dead person. What a. Oh, what a uh, then when he is like, that motherfucker is going through my family shit, I'm gonna go beat his ass. I don't care if I am a painting. Right? Because also, like, you know that the last time he knew Mundungus was in the black home, he was like, oh, come on. Why the fuck is this guy here? No one likes him. Yeah. Mundungus is probably one of the least likable characters in the series. In fact, when we were watching the movie. He's the third part of your fuck, Mary Kill. Yeah, but I feel like he's an easy one to not kill. Like, I hate the other two so much. The other two are Lockshart and Cormac McLoggan. He's um, just so gross. I'd still kill him. Mundungus? I think I'd kill Mundungus. I'd fuck Lockshart and I'd marry McLaggan. No, I would marry Lockshart in his brain-addled stage and I would fuck McLaggan. See, that feels logical. I feel like there's more nuance. Than... Hold on to that thought. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that for That might come up much later in the season, but... We'll change our minds. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, so Mundungus it's... is garbage. He's 100% garbage. It's good to bring at least that little element into this chapter from the last one um, that isn't just about Katie Bell. And we do get that nice little moment with Phineas being kind of like the comic relief. Every time he is in the story, he's always got something to say. And Dumbledore's like, cool it, fucker. Exactly. In my day, the children wouldn't question the headmaster. And he's just like, yeah, shut up, bitch. Okay, boomer. Okay, boomer. So then he brings up this hologram of Cartacris Burke. What a name. Now, this was a little bit confusing to me because it sounds like he's referring to the locket as the necklace. Whereas I actually sort of think it could also be the necklace. Like, they were talking about the necklace with Katie Bell, and then they're like, oh, this Cartagoras Burke motherfucker, he's the one who made the necklace. But I'm like, wait a minute, is that that necklace or is it the locket? It's the locket. That makes more sense to me. The way that it was written was kind of confusing. Because otherwise, like, why bring him up and do this hologram? Right, because they're talking about how Marope sold him the locket. Yes. And she didn't realize what it was or what it was worth. Uh, Yeah, so he's kind of like, oh no, Cartagoras Burke. Oh, Borgen and Burke. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Just realized that, everyone. Uh, Okay. 
That makes a lot of sense then. Speaking of Marope selling the locket and everything and Harry asking about she would rather die than be with her son and stuff. Dumble being like, well, yeah, she was real fucked up anyway. It wasn't like she had a choice or anything. It really shows the difference between the upbringing even though Harry's upbringing is by no means ideal because of the Dursleys. But, like, the juxtaposition between Voldemort and Harry and the theme of a mother's love, which we continue to see. Right. Like, we started really talking about that even back in book four about Mrs. Crouch. Mm-hmm. And here's another instance of popping him out and being like, name after his dad and then my dad. That's that. Well, I wonder about Marope and, like, just the level of defeatedness that she must have felt. Yes, Harry was raised in a very shitty home, but he also is aware of the product of who he really is. His parents were good, and even though he struggled last book with whatever he thought about his father and when he whatever he learned, he knows that he is alive because of his mother. He is very aware of the power of a mother's love. And he has another mother in his life. You know, Molly. Molly, who is, like, literally mothers him, and that's not his real mom and also like he's watched how petunia treats dudley mm-hmm. like he's not blind to it the idea of a woman not doing everything she possibly can to be there for her child is just foreign to him i think that being said i think she was defeated at that point you know she can't give him what she wants to give him uh-huh she knows she created him as a result of slipping a muggle a love potion. Her family is gone. She just was at the end, you know? And I think that sometimes there's a level of defeatedness that comes with that. Whether or not that plays into who Voldemort is, I think that that's less about that and more about how he was conceived under a love potion. Yeah, that's another thing that like, I'm excited to like. And you know, he's just garbage. Dive he's more just into. Not, a, not a nice guy. Yeah. Voldemort is a mean guy, guys. He, he got that Slytherin blood up in him. Do we also ever see the other side of this from Morphin and Marvolo's point of view? Like, once they're out of jail, do they come back and they're like, Where is my rope? Where my locket at? Oh my god. And then so they die, or there's like... more information out there in regards to the Gaunt family and the locket, but zero people are ever inquiring about Morope after this. Obviously, we need to figure out the ring thing. Because that's the other part. Yeah. Obviously, we saw that a lot in the last lesson. And that's how we get to the whole mouth harp thing. That's a good starting point before we get into this memory. So they fall into the basin and they meet Mrs. Cole. Oh, Mrs. Cole. Mrs. Cole is a Quinn. And let me tell you why. We are Mrs. Cole. We are Mrs. Cole. She has anxiety. She loves herself for gin. When she starts drinking that gin, she opens up like a fucking... Something that opens up and talks. Canary? Sure. She opens up like a canary. Us, honestly. I know, there's like a famous idiom that's like, she sings like a canary, yeah, whatever. I don't know. Something about Mrs. Cole, I'm like, she is a basic-ass bitch. It says at one point, the look on her face was more of, like, anxiety than of hardness or something. Dumba walks in there, and she's like, oh, this little motherfucker has sores on his back again. Here, take this up to... Then she, like, sees Dumble and she's like, what in the fuck is that and Dumble's like what you never seen a gay man before there's something about how she's introduced in this frenzied way and then they go in this little office and they start talking about Tom and she starts drinking the gin and I don't know something about all of this she's painted in a bland way but I think that's what I like about her she also has a really shitty job yeah the matron of an orphanage that is not a fun job yes especially because the way it's written especially It feels like an asylum. Yeah. 
That fucking movie does not help. The movie doesn't help. And also, you know, thinking like of time period, I'm no historian or anything, but even the way in pop culture that uh, orphanages and asylums are presented, it almost feels like one and the same just for two different reasons. So Dumbledore does some magic. That's the other thing that I was wondering about because he conjured that gin, right? He sure did. So he kind of was like, this bitch loves her juniper berries and was like, boom, here's some gin. And so she was just like, oh, yes, I'll take this gin that suddenly appeared in my office. Yeah, well, he also could, like, censor, clearly. He hands her a blank piece of paper and he's like, everything's in order. Oh, that's the other thing. What I was confused about was if he enchanted the piece of paper to say something. Because at first, when it, this happened, I was like, did he imperio this bitch to think that there yeah. was something on the paper? So, like, yeah. it seemed like that. Apparently Dumbledore thought she was an inconveniently sharp woman. Harry now saw him slip his wand out of the pocket of his velvet suit, at the same time picking up a piece of perfectly blank paper from her desktop. Here's a Dumbledore waving his wand once he passed her the piece of paper. I think this will make everything clear. So Cole's eyes slid out of focus and back again as she gazed intently at the blank paper for a moment. This seems perfectly in order, she said placidly, handing it back. To me, that means I feel like he did something to her. That's exactly what I thought. And then the gin thing happens again, and then she starts talking a little bit more about his history, about how Goldie was named, and then Rope dies. Something that I thought of that would be fun to look into, she names him after, of course, his father, and then her father. What if Marvolo had, like, a normal name? Then what would his, like, name be not lord voldemort but you know what i mean since he did it based on that because you know in french translations of this book in order for the french to work you know what his like name is it's not tom isn't it elvis it's elvis yeah (laughs) what if it was like tom joseph Riddle or something like that. Like, what would his thing have been? I was actually going to do some work and play around with this, and I absolutely did not have time for it. If you want that to be, like, a future game, that could actually be a fun Patreon exclusive. Just be like, let's see what his name turns out to be and see if it turns out to be anything more ridiculous than Elvis. Here's the thing. We have multiple Marcuses. We have multiple Toms. Give some of these... What's the author's name in this this chapter? Um, Toenail Clippings. Toenail clippings. Toenail clippings. Could you have not come up with more, like, magical names? Like, right. come up with, with magical, like, last name. Like, fucking Cornelius Fudge. Bellatrix what? Lestrange. Marcus Belby? Name someone Elvis. That's a magical name. Right? I like Elvis. My sister, when she was a child, had a huge crush on Elvis. We went to Grayson and mm-hmm. everything. I, I would go to Grayson. Before that, when she was, like, really little, she had a crush on Cary Grant. Aww. Isn't that wild? And then she, as y'all know... If you listen to this podcast, then she carved I Love Harry Potter into, like, a hamper in her bathroom. Anyways, they talk about that, that she, how she was named and everything. It's I like going... how she's like, anything I tell you isn't going to make you change your mind, right? Yeah. She's like, get this motherfucker out of here. Because then she does start talking about all these kids that have been bullied or whatever. Billy Stubbs is mentioned again. And I'm like, we already heard about Billy Stubbs is the one who has sores on his back or whatever the fuck it was. Billy Stubbs is just having a rough life. I was like, are the only two people who live here Billy Stubbs and Voldemort? Like, come on now. But then we start getting into some other instances, like two kids that he lures into the cave. Amy Benson and Dennis Bishop. Sure, those sound like boring muggle names. Right, those are really boring fucking muggle names. It's almost like she drinks the gin and then she like leans and closes like, so I heard that 
this this feels like gossipy yeah. to me. The way that it is written too makes me feel more for Mrs. Cole and like it gives this additional layer of her personality. I don't know if I'm like adequately explaining why I like Mrs. Cole, but something about her on the page flew off and hit me in the face. I think that Mrs. Cole is everything that you would expect from this time period. Yeah. Who also has to deal with the fact that one of her students is probably a psychopath. On top of just running an orphanage, period. Yeah. I mean, we've all seen Annie. Look at poor Miss Hannigan. Yeah, it definitely gives a little bit of that. Plus, who's the old bitch from, I want to say Great Expectations, but I don't think it's Great Expectations. I do not know. There's an old bitch in a Dickens thing, and she gives me some of that too, but not as rusty. But anyways, this is not a Dickens podcast. She also calls Dumbledore Dunderbore. (laughs) And I was like, yes, honey, you win the reading challenge. That's pretty good, honestly. So once he starts talking to Tom, Tom has already the elitist Voldemort attitude. So at first, I was like, where does he get this from based especially upon like how he was introduced and everything was we learned about him? I would almost think of him to be someone more shy. Like in the movie, even, he's creepier yeah. than I think he is. In the, in the book, he just feels like very pompous to me. I wonder if that comes from the magic that he was like, realizing he could do perhaps but i also thought of the thing that we often see when somebody in pop culture in movies and books and whatnot come into this sort of system that is one reaction obviously tom is still a slytherin he has some of that in him talk about like the sorting hat and all of that and being able to see like your personality even later in the chapter they talk about how he's asking where Diagon Alley is mm-hmm. and he's like how the fuck do I get there I don't need your help I walk around London all the time by myself he may have come in the situation and realized okay well if I want XYZ I'm gonna have to go into yeah, it all by myself probably and that gives him some of that so just to say that like oh you entered this world in such a modest kind of way doesn't necessarily translate to oh, now you're also very modest. That's just one of those reactions, I suppose. But yeah, he gives very visceral, kind of malicious response. It's a little bit erratic Mm -hmm. as well. And speaking of Imperio, there are some moments where Dumbledore starts talking about like the magic thing. And it's almost as if Tom goes way down into this almost like, yes, sir, very polite, very respectful. It's a form of manipulation. Yeah, I can see that too. There are definitely moments in here where there's a lot of that. When he asks something like, well, my mom died, so she obviously... Right, she's definitely not a witch because she's not strong enough. Yeah, so it must be my dad. We see that then in Voldemort's journey of like, well, I can't die because I'm the greatest wizard of all. So there are some of those like manipulative things that we do kind of see that really give off the Voldemort vibe too. Oh yeah, he's just not phased when Dumble is like, yeah, if you do bad things, you are punished in the wizarding world. Mm-hmm. He gives that like clause. Yeah, he's of. like, you know how you fucking stole all this shit? That's not gonna happen. That is when he, in a very manipulative way, is doing the yes sirs and all of that. There is one thing that is in the book that I did kind of like, is that when Dumbledore sets the wardrobe on fire, this reaction from Tom in that all of his possessions are in that. And that kind of brings you back to Earth and realizes, oh yeah, like, think about like where, what this kid has been through. I don't necessarily think there's any sort of like sympathy there, right. but it does kind of give that like extra layer to that situation. Well, I mean, I think that Dumbledore points it out with Harry. He's like, could you keep feeling sorry for him? Why shouldn't Harry have empathy for this child? Mm-hmm. 
despite his attitude, like, it would be very easy to kind of feel that for anybody who's in an orphanage, too. My other thought is, like, why did Dumbledore allow some almost, like, lenience? Yeah, because Harry is like, oh, there's no way he's going to allow this. And then he does. Yeah, he's just like, yep, here's how to get to Diagon Alley. See you at Hogwarts. I wonder if he's in there and Dumbledore doesn't know that he's future Voldemort, obviously. But Dumbledore knows that there's something about this kid at this point. And he just like, I'm just going to let it happen. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. That's literally just like, I have no idea. But maybe that. Maybe. Obviously, Dumbledore is a legilimens. He probably knows more than is let on in the chapter and stuff like that. It just seems so reckless. And I wonder, as Dumbledore watches this, if he is like, wow, I really fucked up. Right. At the very beginning. Yes, though. How is Dumbledore supposed to know when when the child is literally in their, like, infancy stages of, you know? Yeah. I mean, who knows how many other students he has sought out like this in this series we do kind of see a variety of different family structures and stuff and people coming to hogwarts in many different ways so it's not like this is the only one that he sought out like this it's amazing because even like the letters we learn this from the very beginning will like hunt you down (laughs) no matter what right they're gonna come to you might as well Harry Potter is Harry Potter, though, too. Like, obviously, he came into this situation and this fame, whether he likes it or not. If it's that powerful, that pull to get them to come into the magical world, who knows? Maybe this was something that was more likely. Let's say that it was some other situation and Tom was actually adopted. Like, imagine that sort of... Like having to go and retrieve him from like a muggle. Whereas home six, or it would definitely be a muggle home. Yeah. Who knows what fucking havoc he would have caused there? Yeah. Or he could have caused less havoc because there's more supervision. Mm-hmm. You know, that's interesting to think about. I never yeah. I don't know. I just think, like, because of Dumbledore's situation, maybe he has seen kids from all sorts of different, like, walks of life. That's definitely a different walk of life. He really does a good job showing Tom his level of, like, tolerance, but he doesn't quite put him in his place because he realizes that that's not going to do him any good, I think. Yeah. There's also, like, delusion behind being close to Tom. I was certainly intrigued by him. I returned to Hogwarts intending to keep an eye on him, something I should have done in any case, given that he was alone and friendless, but which already I felt I ought to do for others' sake as much as his. And then also earlier he says, Riddle was perfectly ready to believe that he was, to use his word, special. You know what I think this is is talking about is how so many Death Eaters in the past were like, oh, I'm so close to him. Oh, Like a Bellatrix sort of situation, and like how from the very beginning... Kind of like what I was saying about how he would just like go off into London and do his own thing. The delusion of the cult followers, essentially, to think that, oh, I'm so close to Voldemort when it's like baked into his, his personality. Like, Who the fuck are you? Yeah. And the reason, of course, for his distance, that's probably what I was referring to, is just his, like, fierce, like, independence and stuff. It's very interesting because it's finding these little elements of his personality that we end up seeing about him for the entire series. Yeah. Oh my god, you're not wrong. The way that the chapter ends, honestly, I love it. I think it's so clever, so good job toenail clippings the whole like allusion to horcruxes like the harmonica dick was only a harmonica dick or whatever if you don't know what's happening it leaves you on this 
it's not a cliffhanger, but it's like, no. what is going on here? What does that mean? It's so on brand for Dumbledore. Harry just being like, not getting all the pieces. Of course he mm. wouldn't because Dumbledore doesn't like to share. This kind of shit is his brand though. Harry's like, oh, the ring is gone. And it's just like, I thought maybe there'd be this thing here. And Dumbledore's like, no, this thing was only over that. He's giving us Horcrux clues. Harry's not going to He's given Harry confusion. Yeah, well, Harry's like, what else is fucking new? It says something about Dumbledore that Harry almost would expect, like, oh, we go on this journey. Ooh, here's a little hint sitting at the table here. Like, oh, I expected there to be a thing that we saw in there. Because it's, again, like, this silly old man. That is definitely a theme throughout this chapter when we, like, reflect on Dumbledore. But it's pretty interesting. Do you recall yesterday when I was like, the game's kind of a cop-out? Mm-hmm. All right, we are going to play one word at a time. <laughs> You're like, I'm not uh... ready for this. And our prompt is we have to describe Mrs. Cole. Oh, <laughs> Would you like to start or would you like me to start? You can start. All right. Mrs. Cole. Was... Thirsty. She needed to drink and eat. So she door dashed. Snacks. Sex. <laughs> Snacks. Oh my god. I was like, th- th- she is not horny. We already established that. <laughs> Dumble brought DoorDash <laughs> as a. <laughs> I'm trying to influence her you by used the word a, which is really unfair. Bribe. Mrs. Cole was okay. She ate that Dordash. I was like, are we gonna figure out? I don't know. This went in a different direction. And drink that. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's my word. Yeah. Like she drank that gin. Yeah. Stumble. Imperioed. Mrs. Cole. (laughs) What if I was like Norris? (laughs) (laughs) But. She would still drink all the gin anyway. She drank and <laughs> drank and drank. I think we can end it there. Me <laughs> and you know what I was trying to get to is like her being like she talked shit about Voldemort or something like that. And when you were like you said a and I was doing like. Zzz, I was trying to get you to be like, Dumble cursed her. Um, I like how he brought her gin from DoorDash. <laughs> what kind of food do you think she got? Maybe she had those empanadas. Oh, maybe she got a tray of buns. So let's start the movie by talking about Mrs. Cole, because I am not pleased. Because Mrs. Cole looks too classy in the movie. She's, she looks real classy. She looks real good. And I was like, but you're not supposed to be. You need to be like Miss Hannigan of the 1926s. Right. I expected it to be like, Cockney accent. Oh, Billy Stubbs got fucked right? up again. No, <laughs> who's this homosexual at my orphanage? <laughs> Do you have any gin for me to drink? <laughs> That's what I wanted to see. Not Mrs. Cole in this very fancy like button over dress and her hair is quite her hair is beautiful here's the boy you want son no right. i want mr cole to be this much of a mess <laughs> maybe this much of a mess okay yeah okay yeah, that's, that's at least eight inches of a mess yeah an eight inch harmonica <laughs> dick that automatically was like no okay so this also comes up because this is before quidditch tryouts 
So we already talked about in another episode how he's like, what are your extracurriculars in college? Oh Have you talked to mine yet? Yeah, it's so <laughs> fucking weird. I, like, anytime I watch the scene, I'm like, why are you all into Harry's fucking personal Yeah. First, she cock-blocked him at the beginning of the summer. That's right! With that pretty He's girl. He's like, that girl isn't the right one for Harry. Hermione, no, that's where it's at. And Harry's like, what the fuck do you know of my life, bitch? Hermione's he's, my friend. And he's like, I'm a legitimate. So that all happens. And then he gets, like, the vial out. And the vial is terrifying. And you're like, why is it so scary? The- then he turns off the lights. Yeah, he literally does, like, a hand wave. And it's like, mood lighting, Harry. Let's go watch this memory together. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to dump this weird-ass looking vial into this bowl. Mm-hmm. And we're going to check out a weird memory together. Now, the transition is pretty cool. Yeah, that But then cool. we meet Mrs. Cole, and she's at the Department of Mysteries. Yeah, it looks like the fucking Department of Mysteries. What the hell? Yeah, it's way nicer than I think that this should look. It also like, doesn't look like a fucking orphanage. It looks like the Department of Mysteries. It looks like Hostel. Like, a Hostel yeah. if, like, Aloft had bought a thing of Hostels and made them, like, fancy. So weird. Voldemort... <laughs> Uh, like, it's, it's little baby Tom book. Riddle is like emotionless. He's emotionless, and I don't necessarily like that because in the book he has this pride about him that you don't see at all. Like in the movie, it's almost like what I would expect. Yeah, more. Yeah, you kind of wanted to just be like, especially the time where he like snaps at Dumbledore in the book, and he's like, "I said to do this, whatever." Right. That would have been cool to see. The only thing that was remotely like that is when Dumble's like, I'm like you, Tom. I'm gay as well. And Tom's like, prove it. And then he sets something on fire and is like, see, I have the power to make things go aflame. And he's like, look at this arson. Yeah, and then he's like, child, open that door and take the box out. And he reaches into the flame. Nothing is explained. And Dumbledore's like, you shan't steal things at Hogwarts. And that's pretty much it. It's like, if you didn't read the book, you would be half like, um... Yeah, I don't know people who have only watched these movies, how they fucking follow this movie. Right. Because it gives pretty much like 75% of the story. Maybe. Probably less. I can't remember what happens directly after that. It transitions into the tryouts, but they come out of the pensieve. I don't necessarily remember any, like, debrief. If anything, it was very minimal. Not much of one. Yeah. So, uh, they did fine. It definitely doesn't match what I would have liked to see. It's okay. Yeah. There are better chapters coming up in the movie, like the next one. But before we talk about what we're talking about next time, let's look at points. Points. Points are extremely simple. Plus 20 to Mrs. Cole. <laughs> and negative 20 to Voldemort. Tom uh, Riddle. Tom Riddle. It's still weird to call that child Voldemort, but... Child Voldemort. Child Voldemort. Very easy. Baby Plus Baldi. 20, negative 20. I could have given some to Phineas and Jealous. Eh, he's like a bit part in this. Dumble and Harry, they're just kind of like along for the ride. It's fine. So next time. Next time. We're going to be discussing chapter 14, 14. which is Felix Felices. Felix Felices. Which is probably something both of us could use lately. Oh, correct. So hopefully it'll be a lucky episode. That's I don't right. Know, almost, <laughs> I was like, I'll take it. Back myself into this corner. Our energy has taken a nosedive throughout Ooh, this. The yeah. wine and the subs, they just did not mix. My body is like, this is a good time for sleeping. Yeah, we're not sleeping. We're you have an episode, episode to do, so. We have an episode Soldier to do, so on. bye. <laughs> Soldier on. Soldier on. Okay. I don't know.
Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Gorkery. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice and share us with all your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Yes. Join our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram. I never update Twitter, but we have that. We do. Also email basicsnitches at gmail.com. We also now have a website, basicsnitches.com. And a Patreon, patreon.com slash basicsnitches. Join today and get exclusive content every week and be acknowledged in every single one of our episodes. Taryn Telegra, dance bitch. I see you new friends who don't make me dance for nothing. Yeah, they ain't gonna come, honey. We out!